reading from the book of Deuteronomy. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Hear also these words from Paul's letter to the, to the Ephesians. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up for the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's my joy to introduce our speaker today, uh, Dr. Barbara Boatwright. She's actually a native of Kentucky. I found that out today. Uh, but she completed her undergraduate degree at Vanderbilt and then her PhD in clinical psychology from the University of Memphis. Then postgraduate, uh, uh, she worked at MUSC doing a fellowship. And uh, I got to know Barbara when we first moved to Charleston. Um, she's a dear friend and someone I greatly respect. Um, she is the founding executive director of Life Resources. And it's a leading a professional faith-based counseling hub here in Charleston for Charleston and beyond. And, and he, let me just get right to the point. When I met Barbara, I had heard about Barbara. Why? Because several of my dearest friends were seeing her for marriage counseling. And they were experiencing life change, life transformation for their marriages, for themselves, and for their families. And uh, my dream was just to help multiply Barbara. And over the years, we've formed a great gospel friendship and partnership here in Charleston. And uh, it's such a joy to have her take the pulpit today to share a little bit about parenting. And, and here's what I'd tell you. Regardless of your age, there's something in this talk for you. And if you're a note taker, get ready. So with that, let me invite you to give Barbara Boatwright a round of applause as she makes her way forward. Thanks, Paul. Good morning. It's a joy to be here with you all today. Um, I'm really honored to be invited to speak to um, the group at 9 o'clock and now again with you all. And um, so I'd, I'd like to just start by um, giving, building your faith. You know, um, the word says that that faith is increased by the word of a testimony. And so I would just add a little story about how Paul and I actually connected in the first place. And if you have ever doubted that God is, is vitally in, and individually interested in you as a person, hope, I hope that this story will encourage you. So uh, my, my son was living in New York for the summer and I had decided to go and get some training um, up there. and. Um, participated in an international training of about 2,000 people. And during that time, I was uh, randomly assigned to a um, 
to a small group that was headed up by a gentleman who I spent the entire week with. And at the end of the week, he said, oh, Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, is that anywhere near Charleston? And of course, he had no idea. He, they, they actually had trouble figuring out the difference between North and South Carolina up there. Um, but, but in any case, um, he said that, that um, one of his dearest friends had just moved to the area and um, that he had been the executive director of a faith-based counseling center in Greenwich, Connecticut. Um, and he, this gentleman who had been working with me during the week was his founding executive, his founding board chairman. And um, so I was very excited because at the time I had felt like the Lord was calling me to take my, the Counseling Center Life Resources nonprofit. So I got back and within a week, Paul and Carly and my husband and I were having dinner and it was a God appointment because Paul came alongside me at a time when I had no idea what I was doing from a business standpoint, from a nonprofit standpoint. He became a founding member of our board, mentored and encouraged me and continues to do that. And so I'm delighted to see that he is flourishing with DIF and um, support this beautiful body of believers wholeheartedly. So thank you, Paul. Um, we love and appreciate you and your friendship. So um, my background is as a clinical psychologist with a specialty in child psychology. And so over the years, I've read tons and tons and tons of parenting books. And I've had my own kids. And I'm really here to tell you that there's only one parenting book that um, is really right, and that is the Bible. Um, you can throw all the rest of them off your shelf um, and, and save a lot of time. Um, so my goal here today is just to encourage you um, with one or two key concepts that if you take that lens and use, use that particular lens of connecting with your children, and we're going to go through a few particulars and how you do that well, um, that, that it will influence your parenting. And in fact, I had some feedback from the last session of a couple of families who had actually done this and had made a determination to make a slight shift that actually was in keeping with what I had shared. And within two days, there was a difference in the parent-child relationship. So the Bible, why is the Bible a good manual for parenting, for marriage, for families? I would offer to you that it's because it's a story of family. Uh, at its inception, we have God the Father who has this wonderful son, Jesus. And, and, and God wants to give, um, Jesus wants to give his, his father children. And God the Father wants to give his, his son a mature bride. And so all through scripture, human beings are the product of that love relationship. We are divinely caught up between in this family of God um, because love must be given away. In the crucifixion, because we are wayward children and any parent here, anybody, any, how many parents do we have in the audience today? How many children do we have? Oh, I did this the last session. Every hand should be raised. Every hand, we all have parents. We all have parents, and we actually have a loving Father God who never leaves us or forsakes us. And so this loving, so Jesus came to restore us into proper relationship with his Father because sin 
kept us apart from him. And in his sacrifice, we get to be adopted children of God. So today's talk is aimed towards both parents and children. It's really aimed towards all of us. And if you are a, a, a child, i.e. defined by under 18, I just really invite you not to check out because part of my goal here is to empower you to influence your parents. So with that, let's have, let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much that you have created us in your image with a need and desire for loving, and loving connection. Your word says that we love because we were first loved by you. Thank you so much for offering us a place of belonging so that we can flourish and prosper in our lives. We recognize that this is only truly accomplished in relationship first with you and then with those around us, especially our families. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So I'd like to begin with a question of what does it mean for a relationship to flourish? If you consider your relationship with your spouse, with your children, with your parents, with a coworker, with a boss, how would, would you say that those relationships are flourishing or are they strained? Webster's defines flourishing as to thrive or prosper to be fully alive, engaged, and lovingly connected with another. And that's a real challenge for us in today's world. There are so many distractions, um, the busyness, we're going a million miles an hour in a hundred different directions, it seems, especially if we have multiple kids and we're carting them everywhere. And even in our spare time, it gets eaten up by things like social media. Being connected online actually may serve to disconnect us from authentic relationship, face-to-face -face relationship with other people. And so our relationships are really fragile. And I learned that early on when I, was a, when I first became a parent and my son was just a year old. We were in the kitchen one day and I, I don't remember what was going on, but I was stressed and I was short-tempered and we were having a good time. He was about eight or 10 months old and sitting in his high chair and I was doing my thing in the kitchen. And all of a sudden, I just sort of snapped at him and he decompensated. I mean, this happy little guy who's playing with his Cheerios just fell apart in his high chair. And I realized very quickly that, that he was sensitive to what he probably perceived as my dissatisfaction with him, my rejection, my anger. He picked up on it in a nanosecond. And fortunately, I was sensitive enough, not always, obviously, but at that moment, I just got on my knees in front of that high chair and got right in his face and said, oh, Ross, I'm so sorry. You're not the problem here. You know, will you forgive me? And even though that little guy didn't have words yet, he forgave me. I could tell in that moment there was a heart connection in that face-to-face -face encounter. And children are quick to forgive. I mean, parents, we mess up all the time and, and we have our own parents and we know they've failed us in many, many ways. And, and if we can learn to be quick to forgive, relationship can be restored. It's never too late. Tim Keller says that our greatest need is to be known and loved, truly known. And our greatest fear is to be known and rejected. That fear of being alone left out, rejected, 
is something that all of us have experienced at one time or another in our lives. Solitary confinement is the most deadly punishment that we can offer someone because isolation is so deadly. And God said it's not good for man to be alone, and that's why he gave us a helpmate. That's why we have mothers and fathers who are making a pledge to be with one another till death do they part. Doesn't always work out that way, and that's very, very painful. But it's because we're not meant to be alone. The good news is that we have a God who promises to never leave us or forsake us. And so even if we're forsaken in our earthly relationships, even if we've been wounded and hurt by our parents through death or divorce or abuse or whatever the case may be, in a group this size, some of you have experienced those things. There is the possibility through Jesus that we can have a loving and present connection with a loving Father God who promises that his love will never fail us. And I would invite you to know today that that kind of presence is palpable, just like in that little divine connection that happened for me in New York. That was a little kiss from my Abba Daddy God, saying, I'm here for you. I see what you're trying to do. I'll help you. It's possible for each of us. So we need one another to be there for us. Are you there for me? And so if you'll pull up that first slide, there are three aspects, really, of whether we can be there for someone. The first is accessibility. The second is responsivity. I, I can't be present with you if I'm not accessible. And, and I need to be able to be responsive. And then am I engaged? Some of us may have grown up with fathers who sat behind the newspaper the minute they got home from work or didn't come home from work, who knows? That accessibility is really important and the engagement. So when we're disciplining our children, you know, how do we balance that? And I'd like for you to consider that there's two main aspects with this that we need to look at good parenting. One is warmth and nurture, tenderness, kindness. The other is structure. God loves us unconditionally, which is the warmth and nurture side, but he loves us so much that he disciplines those he loves, and he doesn't want to leave us just like we are, because we're works in progress until we leave this earth. So the easiest way for us to look at this is through a grid, where you have high firmness to low firmness, and high warmth to low warmth. Well, low warmth to high warmth, looking at it this way. And what I would like to offer to you is that as, as I explain these four quadrants, think about your own parents. Think about yourself as a parent. And, and keep in mind that wherever you may land or wherever your experience may have been with your own parents, that the goal is to be moving up into that number one quadrant, which is kind parenting. So authoritarian parents are parents who are really highly structured. It's sort of like, do it because I said so. And that can go on a whole spectrum of you know, high structure, just, you just gotta do it, all the way to abusive kinds of behaviors. That, tends, that type of parent tends to produce children who are gonna ultimately rebel. It's a problem. At the other end of the, of the extreme is the indulgent parent. And those parents tend to not be as structured, kind of anything goes, but they're very warm and nurturing. 
I love you, and so sure you can have that thing that you want. No boundaries. I, um, that, that tends to promote children who are entitled and spoiled, but it also can promote children who are very insecure. I had a client one time who um, was very, very responsible. She never did a bad thing. She was like the perfect kid growing up. And her parents never had a curfew for her. They had a curfew for her siblings, but not for her. And she experienced a profound sense of not feeling loved because her parents didn't care when she came home. They probably thought they were just giving her appropriate empowerment and responsibility, but her experience of that was very different. The worst kind of parent is the absent parent. And that can, again, range on a, on a, a broad spectrum. It could be an absent parent who is, is home but not present because of alcohol, because of busyness. It could be an absent parent who's not there because of death or divorce. Charles Stanley, um, famous preacher out of Atlanta, said that he um, never believed that God the Father could be there for him because his father died when he was three and he never remembered having a dad. So we all have different experiences with this. But the goal for all of us is to move into that upper right quadrant of kind parenting. That's where there's a high degree of expectation for excellence. There's structure, there's boundaries. But the rationale behind that expectation is, I want you to do this, I want you to obey this thing because I care about you and this is for your welfare. And so what we find is more open and reasonable parenting and kids tend to flourish with that. So human beings, the other, the other spectrum that we need to consider is that human beings um, are unique in two particular ways. And that is that we, in comparison to all other creatures that exist, have the ability to exert authority. We have the ability to, um, to impact, have a capacity for meaningful action on our world and on other people. And that can be abused, but that should be stewarded, right? So that we can improve the world and the people around us by our presence and our engagement with them. The other thing that happens for human beings is that we have the longest period of time of any creature in existence of childhood and vulnerability. We are at one extreme the most authoritative, at the other extreme the most vulnerable for the longest period of time. And one of the things that, um, that, you know, so why is that? There's a mystery in that. And Paul mentioned at the last service, and I had left it out of the talk, but I want to I add it in here, um, is that Jesus embodies that, doesn't he? And so if Jesus embodies it, it's pretty important. Jesus laid aside his divinity, God of the universe, who could zap us all in a second if he wanted to. He laid aside his divinity to be born naked in a stable to experience the vulnerability of infancy and childhood and having to be completely cared for by another human being, completely at their mercy. On the other hand, he had, if we look at his three years of ministry, he demonstrated the greatest authority. He raised people from the dead. He healed the sick. He cured the lame. I mean, all sorts of things that were exercising the greatest degree of authority that the world had ever seen and indeed has still ever seen. 
And then we look at the cross. He laid aside his divinity. He went out of this world naked, crucified, humiliated. Why? For us. For us. And then, as the song at the beginning, I was trying to write down the words, um, you know, there's that beautiful juxtaposition. He's raised from the dead so that we now are adopted children of God and co-heirs with him. So this is actually a picture of parenthood. It's a pretty cool thing. So part of our job as parents is to empower our children and to do it in varying degrees um, as they're capable of taking that on. I love the way the children are invited to come up here in the service. That's an appropriate degree of empowerment to say, yes, you too can pray. You can lay your hands on, on these people. You get to participate. I love that. It's very, very appropriate. As little kids, we want to act on our environment. We want to exert authority. If you'll pull up that one picture of the powder. So this is my son. He's the extrovert of my two children, and he would be delighted that I'm showing you his picture today. He's 28 years old now. Um, he was about 18 months old, and I walked in his room one day and discovered he had um, exerted some authority over his environment. <laughs> this is a great example of immature exertion of authority. Now, I didn't get, he didn't get in trouble. It was too funny, and he was so pleased with himself, as you can tell. But this is part of the stewardship of parenting, is that as our children get older and older, we allow them greater degrees of responsibility as they're able to take it. So you got the picture of the car. He really, he really wanted to be ahead of his time. I thought he was 35 when he was born. So he's about three there. And he crawled in my car one day and decided he was gonna drive away. Well, fortunately, his feet wouldn't reach the pedals and he didn't have a key. But I think he probably felt like he had the confidence to do it if he'd had the opportunity. So again, this is a natural kind of way that we are built, is to exert authority. So flourishing relationships, what does it have to do with this kind of cool dichotomy between vulnerability and authority? It has everything to do with it. Flourishing family relationships are characterized by kindness, and nurture, empowerment, and vulnerability. So that when we mess up as parents, do we have the boldness to go to our children and say, you know what, I blew it. I blew it. I yelled at you. I was too harsh. I shouldn't have done this. I should have done that. Do we create a nurturing and safe enough environment for our children to be able to come to us and say, hey, dad, hey, mom, I wish you hadn't talked to me that way. Because, because in reality, just like my little one at eight months old, they want restoration in the relationship. And we're fallible creatures. We're going to mess up every day. All of this helps us in our task to grow into secure and loving lifelong relationships that are capable of meaningful action for the benefit of others, which is our task. So if we go and look at the Deuteronomy verse, why would I pick that verse for today? And I, I think 
the thing that strikes me most about it is the repeat them again and again. We need to be talking to our kids again and again and again about the way we should live in this, in this balance between love and nurture and, and appropriate authority. It says talk to them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. That's pretty much all the time. It also implies that we're with our children a good bit of the time. And I know that it's a challenge, especially in two-parent working families, to be available to our kids. At the other end of the spectrum, sometimes we're too available to our kids. We are helicopter parents, and that doesn't empower them. But I love the, the bookends. We talk to them at the beginning of the day. We're present with them as they start their day. We work to help them prepare for their day. Carpool, when you're on the road, I thought, you know, maybe, I don't know if they had carpools back in that day, but, but we do. You know, in the, in the midst of the activities of daily life in a family, are we talking to our children? Are we letting them talk to us? Are we empowering them, teaching them through nurture and kindness and structure? At the end of the day, I don't know about you, but my kids always wanted to talk at the end of the day when I was beat. And I would, you know, end up staying up late. I was the night person. My husband conked out early, and I was always the one that was up at 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, being available, accessible for those moments that our children need us. I wouldn't trade that for the world. So these things about godly parenting have to do with, are you there for me? Are you accessible? Are you responsive to my needs? When do you notice that I need you? Are you engaged? Now we're all going to fail at some point or another. It's our presence that matters the most. And it's the presence that we cultivate in our relationship that God that gives us the strength to, and the wisdom and the sensitivity to be able to, to notice and respond to our kids when they need us the most. And the beautiful thing is, is that for those of us who are experiencing some kind of loss in relationship with someone who should have been there for us, perhaps through no fault of their own, perhaps through a fault of their own, we have a loving God that is always available. And if we can cultivate that presence with him, then we can, we can navigate this world successfully. So when we move on to Ephesians, I was a little hesitant, I have to admit, to include this verse because I thought it might offend some of the kids. <laughs> um, obey your parents uh, because this is the right thing to do. And so kids, you know, what does that mean? Do you obey just because they said so? Or do we as children and even adults obey our loving Father God because we can trust that what they are, are asking us to do or asking us not to do is actually for our well-being? If we as parents are honoring our Father God and are, are submitting ourselves to his wisdom and guidance as we engage with you as our children, would that help you trust us more? Would it help you be more inclined to want to obey? There are times that we're going to make mistakes as parents, 
and you probably might not want to obey us. We might push you too hard in a direction. And in that case, what does honoring your father and mother mean? It actually means to forgive us because we're fallible. And a lot of times we raise our kids the way we were raised and we make the same mistakes our parents made. Or we overcompensate in the other direction. A, a child who, a parent who was raised with a really strict father or mother might be overly indulgent or vice versa. There's a parental responsibility too. Fathers, and I would say that's mothers, it includes us too, ladies. Don't provoke your children to, by, to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, than bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So where is that little bit of a, of a shift between provoking our children to anger, which we think is because we're disciplining them, and actually discipline and instruction? Discipline and instruction is loving, but it should never be harsh. So, interestingly, I would encourage you to read all of De Deuteronomy 6, and it talks a lot about um, what these kinds of commands are that we need to be considering as parents when we're teaching them in the morning and through the day and at night. But there's an interesting verse, 14, that says, you shall not follow any other gods, any of the gods of the people who surround you. Well, what does that mean to our culture today? And I would offer to you that our culture, off, that our culture um, offers this need for connection. It offers remedies to this need for connection that are counterfeit. A counterfeit always is a counterfeit of something valuable. You never see a counterfeit $1 bill, ever. You see counterfeit 20s, 100s. And so what is the counterfeit in our culture? What are the other gods in our culture today that we as parents need to be mindful of and warn against? And I would offer to you that it's media. It's one of the biggest ones. Social media, television, movies has just taken over our culture. Um, if you look at Ancestry.com, it's all about humans and their need for belonging. Match.com is all about looking for that special relationship. Not saying it's not a good thing in moderation. I have some friends who actually met over Match.com, but as a rule, these things are looking to fill a need that the presence of God and authentic relationship face-to-face -face is the real deal. I'm really concerned about Facebook and Instagram. I'm concerned because we post things that post false images, false identities of ourselves. Look at me, I'm happy, I've got tons of friends, I'm traveling here, whatever. We also post stupid pictures of ourselves to try to create a false sense of vulnerability that's not the real deal. None of it is really knowing me. And then we get absolutely brutalized when we don't get the likes, when we get somebody unfriends us. It's a very dangerous world out there. We don't know what the impact on the human brain is. 
there's some statistics that are pretty compelling that we don't have time to go into right now about the amount of time. Most people are spending at least two hours a day on social media, and that's not including their television time. Kids are spending up to nine hours a day engaged in social media, touching their phones 5,000 times in a day. Most of us, adults and kids included, are overly involved in this. Most of this material is exploitive. It's, we're seeing images that we should not be seeing. And, and it's hard, it, it, there's, there's data that shows the impact on the brain. It takes us into places of fear and anxiety. It takes us into places of isolation. And hard science is beginning to show us that the impact on the developing brain of young people, as well as the impact on things like depression, isolation, social anxiety, are increased by the amount of social media use that people engage in. So the problem is that it's a counterfeit. It's replacing real-world presence and connectivity with other people, face-to-face -face contact, con contact with cyberspace. Frightening possibility. It's also a huge time stealer. So Paul and I were talking earlier this week, and he gave me a quote that um, one of his favorite authors, John Ortberg, said that, um, might it be that the evil one is doing his best to steal your time? C.S. Lewis says, if you can't have people consumed by success, consume them with busyness. It's very difficult for us to be present when we're consumed with these things, when we're overly busy. Um, there's, a, there's a saying on, you know, if you fly on an airplane, parents are told to take the oxygen mask uh, before they try to put one on their children. We as parents need to be doing that. We need to be cultivating the presence of God and others in our lives so that we have something to give. How can we throw our children a life vest if we're drowning ourselves? So I have a few tips before we wind up um, that I think might be helpful for you all. Um, first of all, keep God and family and your spouse time sacred. We have to be willing to say no to more things so that we can say yes to relationships. We need to give ourselves the grace to um, say no to the pressures of the world. We talk a lot to our children about peer pressure and, and not succumbing to it, but we adults are very prone to it as well. We're just as caught up in keeping up with the Joneses or feeling like we have to enroll our child in this many extracurriculars or this many APs or whatever. I was talking with a chaplain of a local high school not too long ago, and we were talking about the high incidence of suicide attempts in students when they are in high school and first go to college. And I think we send people a really bad message that if you take all these courses, if you do all these extracurriculars, you'll get into the best school, so you'll get the best job, so you'll make all the money, so you'll have a perfect life. And so we send our kids off to college where all of a sudden they don't have our presence physically there. And all of a sudden they get to college and it's not all it's cracked up to be. People are still rejecting 
You, you know, you're, if you got into a really great school because you did, worked so hard in high school, all of a sudden you're a little fish in that, big, in that big sea instead of a big fish in a little sea. And the pressures are enormous. So what's the solution? The solution, the solution is those healthy family connections that should last our entire lives. Early studies long time ago of kids um, being what, what would produce children to have more confidence to go out and explore the world and be successful in the world all points back to a safe haven, a safe place they can come home to where they're loved unconditionally. You can mess up, you can succeed wildly, my love for you is never going to change. That's what God says for us. We just need to be able to have the vulnerability to be honest with each other in those moments of need. And so I would encourage you, I hope that the takeaway today would be that you all go home and talk about this. Um, I had someone from the last um, service who said, um, gave me the little chart of the parenting, had written it on their card, and with, with his daughter said, Mom is here and Dad is here. They had already talked about it. And Dad was convicted. And he was like, oh, baby, you know, I'm going to do better. But it was great. It was grace-filled. So talk to each other. Forgive. Be honest. Home is where this needs to happen. If home isn't our sanctuary, where is it? So with that, let's pray. Father, Proverbs 3, 5 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I pray, Lord, that um, whatever rings true with each person in this room this morning of these few things that I've shared, Lord, would be deposited in their hearts and would bear fruit of greater um, love and connection in their relationship. Give us the courage to be countercultural in a world that's gone busy. Lord, would you help us to keep our priorities in line with yours, which is always the way of love and healthy connection. Help us to take the risk to be real and vulnerable with those we love. Help us to forgive each other for the failures that are inevitably going to happen. Most of all, Lord, help us to grow in our relationship with you, to empower us to live lives that will honor and glorify you, Jesus, for the sacrifice that you made to restore us into your family and into saving grace. Amen.